Hey, I'm Jesse. We're going to have a devotion, and it's going to be over a pretty difficult passage. We're in Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 24. Yesterday, we saw this command for the Levites and priests to oversee and regulate the daily tasks of the singers. You're reinstituting worship in Jerusalem, and music was a part of that, hence the book of Psalms. Now what comes next is a description of the cities around Jerusalem. It seems to go from Jerusalem down, I think as far south as the Negev, but there are some conspicuously absent cities. Like we don't really see Jericho. We don't really see Bethlehem listed here. And my interpretation of this list, listing out some of the cities around the Holy Land, is that these are the cities that were not destroyed by the Babylonians uh, in the sixth century BC, and who, uh, who, where the people of God continued to live through the captivity. So this is this is a flyover of the list. Path- uh, sorry, Pathiah, son of Meshezabel, of the descendants of Zerah, son of Judah, was the king's agent in every matter concerning the people. As for the farming settlements with their fields, some of Judah's descendants lived in. Kiriath Arba and Dibon and their surrounding villages and Jacabzeel and its settlements in Jeshua, Molada, Beth Palei, Hazur Shual, Beersheba and its surrounding villages in Ziklag and Kona and its surrounding villages in En Rimon, Zora, Jarmuth and Zona, uh, Zanoa and Adullam with their settlements in Lashish with its fields and Ezekah and its surrounding villages. So they settled from Beersheba to the Hinnom Valley. A quick word about the Hinnom Valley. It has its own story. And it's actually where we get the whole idea, the whole concept of hell from. Jesus used this Valley of the Son of Hinnom, also known as Gehenna. So Hinnom was a man, he had a son. This valley became named after him, Valley of the Son of Hinnom, or it's called here Hinnom Valley. Uh, Shorthand for that would be Gehenna. This is where pagan worship was carried out and children were sacrificed in fire. In order to try to bring order to that, a king of Israel or Judah turned it into a dump where instead of burning children, they would burn their trash and burn their refuse. Uh, Jesus would refer to Gehenna or Topheth or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom as, uh, and also the prophets would refer to this as well. I was like, this is where you're going to receive exactly what you did to your own children. And it's just, it's a just penalty for having sacrificed your children in fire. All that is built around this, this passage in, in the Hinnom Valley. It becomes named in this categorization of the, of the land around, around Judah and the resettlement of Jerusalem. Benjamin's, in verse 31, Benjamin's descendants are named from Geba, uh, Michmash, Aijah and Bethel and its surrounding villages. And then we, we have this list of names. We've seen this, we've seen Ono before. That's where, that's where Tobiah and, that's where, that's where Tobiah and uh, Sanballat and the enemies of Nehemiah kept trying to get him to come meet them. Uh, some of the Judean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. Again, we're scrambling things up a little bit. The Levites originally were just to, to reside within the temple, but some of the divisions of the Levites were in Benjamin. Um, we can see that we're not quite we're not quite strictly adhering to some of the original prescriptions for the allocations of the land around Jerusalem, and that's kind of that kind of 
uh, sets the tone for the closing of this book. It ends a little bit, a little bit anticlimactically, but the bottom line is that God has rebuilt this thing and God has resettled his people in their land. Should you come upon a fellow Bible nerd who points out some of the differences and some of the conspicuously missing cities from this list in verses 25 through 36, uh, for whatever it's worth, nobody asked me, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I believe, um, I'm, I, I believe in accordance with some of the Holman Bible Atlas authors that uh, this is a list of cities that were not destroyed by the Babylonian captivity in 6 BC and who still, uh, in, in, in whose towns, you know, there still were Jewish people residing throughout the captivity. That's my take. That's, that's the list of this, this city. But as I look through the list, I see stories like Hinnom Valley and like Ono and like Beersheba for that matter. There's a rich history in Beersheba that's named in verse, in verse 27. Here's my big takeaway from this passage that contains, you know, a list of cities around Jerusalem. Jesse, how do I apply a list of cities around Jerusalem. The Bible is historically impeccable. It's absolutely incredible. There's no other ancient document like it. There really isn't. The fact that, you know, people would point out that Bethlehem is missing from this list shows you just how high the standard is for the Bible. It's incredible to behold. We've never seen something archeologically uh, that would disprove the Bible. And everything we discover archeologically confirms what we've already known to be true in the Bible. There have been claims made in the Bible that for seasons seem not to align with what we knew archeologically. For example, entire people groups, entire cities named in the Bible and nowhere else, or even entire, entire nationalities listed only in the Bible and not found in any other historical record. And for decades, this was actually used to try to ridicule the Bible's historicity, meaning its reliability when it comes to history and how consistent it is, if it's well-preserved, if it's true or if it's false. And then suddenly archeology span would stumble upon uh, one of those people groups named only in the Bible. There was once a man who set out to disprove the Bible, beginning with the book of Acts. He went through the book of Acts and tried to, and, and as an archeologist and atheist, he was, his mission was to disprove scripture. And in route, what he uncovered was the Hittites. If you remember the story of David, uh, he had an affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba's husband was Uriah. Uriah was a Hittite. Up until that point, this was in the 1940s. That's not that long ago. When you think about the grand scope of history and archeology, span it's not that long ago. Uh, it's actually about the time that we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. That we had no evidence of the Hittites. It's like this whole nation, this whole people group that's described in the Bible and the Bible only. I mean, we see parallel references in scripture, uh, from, from scripture to archeological records and Egyptian, you know, historical records. And we have like Tacitus, the Roman, the Roman historian, who was like the official historian for the Roman empire. And he preserved a whole lot of stuff, including Jesus, by the way, his name, his existence confirmed in, in Tacitus's records. But that seems like a pretty glaring oversight for all these other historical records, all these other people groups and all their ancient writings to no, nobody anywhere ever knew the Hittites or only in scripture? It seemed like the Bible kind of made up an entire people group. Well, this atheist archeologist stumbled upon the Hittites. He found record of them, publicized it. Uh, he went on to discover other things that continued to confirm the events of the book of Acts were exactly as the book of Acts described them. That man ended up giving his life to Christ. 
The Bible's historicity is perfect and it's trustworthy and it's never failed us archaeologically. And everything that we've learned archaeologically confirms what we've seen to be true in scripture. It's gotten to the point now where, uh, in my experience with, with the atheist community, I don't have a whole lot of inroads to atheistic archaeological communities, so I can't speak on this firsthand. But what I do know of the atheists with whom I debate, who many of whom are academics, is that they don't bother even testing the historicity of scripture anymore. In fact, it's sort of a mark of immaturity on an atheist or a skeptic or a critic of Christianity to try to take on the historical credibility of the Bible. It means like, okay, you haven't read, you haven't done your reading yet. Okay, just sit down. <laughs> it's sort of the mark of immaturity of a skeptic to try to take on the historical consistency of scripture because it's the best preserved ancient document ever by just a devastating margin in, in every conceivable category. So this list of ancient cities, it further confirms my faith in scripture. And I know that there's a reason Bethlehem is missing. I know there's a reason Jericho is missing. I, I believe that it's because this is a categorized list that is specific to the context of Nehemiah, who was talking about the homecoming after the Babylonian captivity. If you're describing a homecoming after the Babylonian captivity, you need not mention cities where Jews had already been all along. That's my take on this passage. And that's my plug for the historicity of scripture, the word of God. It's true.